service. And uh, through this series, we're going through 1 Corinthians chapters 6 and 7. And I actually want to take this time to encourage you to be spending time in this passage throughout the week, um, preparing yourselves to come and hear the messages that we're going to be speaking about. Um, there's so much packed in these, uh, in these passages that we actually can't actually focus on every little thing. So it's super interesting. So I just want to encourage you to actually spend your own time in these passages rather than just spending time um, listening. But our first week, we looked at our relationships with one another as believers and particularly how we deal with disputes. Second week, Dave took us through our relationship with our bodies. And this week, I'm going to be talking about marriage relationships. Now, I heard when Deanna said, Ash is taking us through marriage. I heard some giggles. Um, I have heard some, yeah, comments, but I, and I realize there are people who are probably more qualified or experienced in their marriage than me, but I want to say Paul, who was the one who wrote this stuff about marriage, he was single. So I technically have a little bit more experience than Paul. (laughs) I don't, I don't. I can't put myself in that position, but um, I'm here preaching the word. I just want to faithfully bring forth the word of God to you this morning, uh, this morning, tonight, this evening. Um, So yeah, something that I'm not very good at is cooking, right? I'm blessed with a husband that cooks well. Um, I, I, on the other hand, I don't, so poor him, but something I do cook really well is risotto. It takes me about two to three hours to prepare this risotto. It's, it's insane. It's ridiculous. But it's a recipe that my mom actually gave to me, and I love it. I think it is the best meal in the whole entire world, and I actually, I, I, I reckon I do a pretty good job of it. So when Carlton and I did get married, um, we were hanging out with friends, going over to their places and having dinner together. I would cook this risotto every single time that we had a meal with someone else. Um, It became a problem when we started having more than one meal. I couldn't just cook risotto every single time. But the first time I have you, yeah, I spend time with them, I'd cook risotto. I thought it was so good that I just had to share it with everyone else. There is no point in me keeping this recipe to myself and hoarding over my risotto so that no one else can have it when it's that good, right? When it's that good, it's worth sharing. And now I feel convicted that I must bake, cook it for you guys at some point. So maybe one, um, one after church hangs, I'll cook you risotto. <laughs> but the reality is that, that marriage is also kind of seen in this way. Marriage is, is a gift from God used for the kingdom, so it is something that, that is good, that needs to be shared for a greater purpose. And this is the truth that we need to remember, that marriage is a gift from God for the kingdom because it actually informs everything else that we do around marriage. And so we're going to spend just a little bit of time exploring what it actually means that it's a gift from God for the kingdom. So the first part is marriage is a gift. In the passage that we're going to read, Paul describes not only singleness requiring a special gift from God, but that marriage also requires a special gift from God. And if this is the case, then it means that healthy and godly marriage can only be undertaken and sustained by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. 
The second part that we need to explore is that marriage is used for the kingdom. If marriage is from God, it is for God. And we know this because the Bible says from God and through God and to God are all things. This means that God has gifted us marriage. It is a gift for us to enjoy, but he's given it to us for greater purpose. It's to be used to declare, to proclaim, and to mirror the character and nature of Jesus. Marriage is a tool that has eternal consequences. It is a beautiful picture of God's love for his people. And through marriage, people can see this love clearly demonstrated and can come to a knowledge and an understanding of the love of God. Marriage is a gift for the kingdom. And it is through this lens that we can now go further into what Paul has to say through this passage. So we're going to read now from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 24. So I encourage you to grab that up in your Bibles so that you can follow along while we're going through tonight as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 24. It says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever circumstance the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. 
Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you now and before your word, Lord, uh, with humility. And Father, we just acknowledge that, um, yeah, we are, we are under you, we are under your authority, Lord, and, and we want to yield, um, yield that to you, Father, yield our pride. And um, yeah, Father, I pray that during this time you'll give us ears to hear, um, hearts to understand and, and to know who you are. In your name, amen. Amen. So... I remember when I was in my first year out of school, my friends and I from church, uh, we had this little saying or this, this little joke, and I'm actually severely embarrassed to share this with you. Um, and what we do is, yeah, the, the little saying, the little joke was potential bays. So <laughs> we, we, when we met guys, or when we saw guys at church events or um, even at church on Sundays, we would suss them out and figure out whether they were potential bays or not. And again, like this is super cringy, and I, I share this out of total embarrassment, but I share it with you because I don't doubt that there are people here that, that either maybe you yourselves or people you know that have similar attitudes, right, towards, towards others. So at its, at its extreme, church camps, church events, combined nights, and even Sunday services become this hunting ground of potential future husbands or wives. Serving can become an opportunity to scout for partners. Worshipping God becomes a way to show others how mature you are in your faith in the hopes that they might be attracted to it. Mm. This is at its extreme, right? But I have seen it happen far too often. The problem with this is we are making marriage our end goal. It is becoming the main priority in our lives and it is becoming an idol. We so desperately want this marriage relationship in our lives that we pursue it to the neglect of some t- sorry to the neglect and sometimes to the detriment of those around us and of the work that God is doing marriage has become your idol viewing marriage this way will only set you up for disappointment one thing that i can say for sure is that for both carlton and myself Marriage is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. And if marriage is your idol and it doesn't meet your expectations, it is going to lead to a lot of issues. And these are big things that I see. And they're big things that I see in the church today, particularly 
in the context of young adults, which is why I want to bring it up with you tonight. The truth is that marriage and your pursuit of it should not come before God and your pursuit of him. So if marriage has a greater purpose, if it really is a gift from God for the kingdom, then we need to first go back and see what a biblical view of marriage is. Go back to the Bible and see what it has to say. So the first thing that Paul has addressed in verses 1 to 6 is that because marriage is a gift for the kingdom, it should look a certain way. When Paul is discussing the way marriage should look and the way God has designed marriage, he is speaking as counterculturally then as he would be now. Marriage was never meant to be something that fit nicely into the ideals of the world. And that is because marriage has a greater purpose to serve in this world. God has called us to be in the world, but not of it. To, conform, to, to not conform to the patterns of the world. To be holy, to be set apart. And he has called us to live our lives in this way so that we may declare, proclaim, and mirror the character of Jesus. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that God has these same ideas and constructs for our marriage as well. And it's not to mention that we should also just trust that God and his authority in our lives and that he truly does know what is best for us when he created and designed marriage. So the first thing Paul says about marriage is that it should be between one husband and one wife. And through this, that we should be keeping our sexual relations to that one husband or one wife as well. The context that Paul was writing into is the context of two extremes, extreme sexual freedom and extreme sexual imprisonment causing total abstinence. Paul's declaration that sex in, is good in the constructs of marriage and that marriage should be monogamous would have totally upset and offended both parties. It would have been offensive to them. We often think that, that these marriage ideals were accepted and, um, yeah, were all good as part of that culture that Paul was speaking into. But that we, as a culture, as we have developed, has started to reject this view of marriage. But this isn't the case. Paul actually would have been under a lot of persecution for boldly arguing God's intention for sex and marriage, and the same persecution that he would be under now if he was preaching the same thing. The reality is that God has designed marriage this way because he knows what is best for us. He has also done this so that his love and his commitment to us may be declared through our marriages. The second point that Paul discusses, which we find in verses three to four, is that marriage and love between spouses should look selfless. We see this when Paul speaks of mutual rights between husband and wife. And when we get down to it, Paul is concerned with the attitude and the selfishness amongst marriages and the unwillingness to give and be sacrificial to our spouse. I remember a couple of years ago, I was listening to an interview that was, um, it was done around Brisbane. And the person doing the interviewing was asking just random people, 
if they believed that love should be sacrificial? And the vast majority answer was no. Most people agreed that love shouldn't be hard work, that love should come easy, and that if you had to give to it or sacrifice to it, then it probably wasn't right for you and that you should leave. They totally rejected any idea of selflessness and sacrifice in love and in marriage. And I actually remember being totally surprised by this because growing up knowing about God and his sacrificial love, I had been already tuned to um, realise that he calls us to love the same way, right? But to the world and to the people that we are around in our everyday lives, this is a totally foreign concept, this idea of sacrificial love. But marriage is a gift for the kingdom designed to reflect Jesus and his love for us. So of course, God is calling us to be selfless towards our spouses in marriage. We need to have an attitude of giving towards them, not keeping from them. And knowing how opposite this is to the world, we, we, if we display it well, if we live out well this idea of selfless and sacrificial love in our marriages, it's not going to be long before other people take notice. What a beautiful thing it is to be able to display to the world the sacrificial love of Jesus through our love for one another in marriage. Marriage is a gift from God and it should look a certain way because it is designed to be in the world but not of it, to be set apart and to be holy. Marriage this way reflects the commitment, the sacrifice and the love that God has for us. The next thing that Paul addresses is that if marriage is a gift from God for the kingdom, then there is power in marriage. In verse 5, after speaking on the importance of sexual relations within the context of a Christian marriage, he then addresses abstaining temporarily for the purpose of prayer. Paul understands that marriage is a unique and a powerful opportunity for prayer. And according to Jesus, this kind of prayer, it is attended with, with promises and with power. Peter also suggests that the most profound purpose of marriage, particularly of Christian marriage, is to release the power of God through a truly united prayer partnership. So Paul understands the importance of this prayer within marriage relationships, and he advises that in order to constantly deepen this discipline of prayer, it takes a special devotion and it takes seasons that are actually dedicated to this discipline. This is why Paul uh, advises abstinence or abstaining from sexual activity for the purpose of devoting yourselves to prayer. But there are guidelines around this. Paul says that both husband and wife should be in total symphony in this issue, not just one person thinking they should do it and the other agreeing, but total harmony. The other guideline is that it should only be for a season, and that season could be surrounding maybe a key period of time, perhaps a special need in your family or in the church or nation or mission field. And this season demands the husband and wife to drop everything in order to give themselves to prayer. 
And the last guideline is that there needs to be deliberate intention of resuming sex again. And these are all guidelines, they're all wise guidelines to protect marriages from our lack of self-control, our desires that lead to sin. Marriage is important, needs to be protected. There is real power in prayer in the context of marriage, and it's one of the ways that God uses marriage for the kingdom. But it's clear Satan doesn't like this. If shared prayer is fundamental to Christian marriage, then Satan's going to do his worst to undermine it. Praying together is often one of the most difficult and also underrated things in Christian marriage. And that's the work of Satan. He's using our temptations, he's using our desires in a way that serves his purpose of destroying the power of prayer, of destroying unity amongst husband and wife. So, husbands and wives, devote yourselves to praying together. If you're not married, commit to communal prayer with brothers and sisters in Christ. Create these healthy rhythms now. We have prayer meetings before each service. That's just one way you can commit to doing that. The next point that Paul makes in verses 10 to 16 is that because marriage is a gift for the kingdom, then marriage is something that needs to be worked on. In these verses, Paul understands the call on believers to not be unequally yoked. He he understands that. In the context of marriage, this means that we should not be marrying nor entertaining the idea of joining in partnership with unbelievers. And the, the Corinthians actually understand this as well, and that's why they've obviously written to him to ask this question. He's, he's answering them. And what Paul sees is that uh, these Corinthians, they've, they've gotten married as unbelievers, and one of them, through hearing the gospel, has become a believer after marriage. And that leaves them in this situation where they are unequally yoked or considered unequally yoked. And because of that, the Corinthians are actually considering uh, and entertaining and following through with divorce. And Paul's answer to this situation is, this is not okay. And the reason that he urges them to remain in the situation they find themselves in when they are saved is because he says you don't know the eternal impact that you might have on your husband or your wife. So as long as there is peace and the non-believer agrees to stay in the marriage, then you should do so. Paul definitely is not condoning willingly and knowingly entering into a marriage relationship that's unequally yoked, but he is saying that marriage, no matter the circumstances, needs to be actively worked on. So this begs the question, is divorce something that Christians should ever entertain? Paul holds firmly to the view that Christians should not get divorced. Paul realises Jesus' teaching on this topic and he's in fact quoting him in verse 10. He realises that the commitment of marriage is lifelong, it is endorsed by God himself, and it should be in no way destroyed by mere humans. But I do want to stop here and say that there are times 
where remaining in marriage is an incredibly unsafe. And in those times, wise counsel should be sought earnestly. And we always have to remember that where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. But when, when this is not the case, when, when the situation is ideal, Paul agrees with Jesus and he recognises the reality and the context in Corinth and he stresses the need to work on marriage. So the other day I, um, I woke up and Carlton had already, he'd gotten up and gone to work. He gets up a lot earlier than I do. And I was getting ready for my day making breakfast and I found this, this pink sticky note on my, on my cupboard um, yeah, a little, little love heart, I know, very cute. And Carlton had written on, on it like a, a, a really sweet note. And it, it seriously made my day. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And over the past couple of weeks, every couple of days I get up and I, I find uh, these little notes with, with these little encouragements on them. Uh, and, and the reason I tell you this and the reason I share this with you is because when you're married, you can often get into ruts in your relationship with one another. You take for granted the fact that you see each other every day, you spend time with each other every day, and you stop pursuing one another. You stop working on your marriage. The dating and the eagerness to win your partner is over because you've already got them, right? You're married. Um, the commitment is made. And, and that pursuing stops and the romance dwindles. And this is something that we have to be really careful to avoid in our own marriages, particularly when life is, is busy and there have been seasons where, um, yeah, where we are pursuing each other more than others. But these notes and things like this are very easy, very simple, very inexpensive ways to intentionally work on your marriage and pursue each other. Christian marriage is sacred and it's something that Jesus spoke very highly of. And because of that, we need to be active and intentional in working on it. The very principle that Paul recognises that marriage needs work and that marriage should be worked on means that it's not going to be easy. And I've known of many Christians and, and there are many situations where people marry each other and then they believe that maybe they've made a mistake in getting married. And when we feel like that, it's important for us to accept the authority and the teachings of God and to apply it to our own marriage. So the reality is when we are saved, we are, we are made new. We need to recognise that, that this making new, this regeneration and this renewal that we have when we come to Christ is also available to us for our marriages. It needs to be our conviction that if we work at marriage, that God has the power to make it new, to make it stronger, to make it better. We serve a God that is bigger than our problems and that is bigger than our marriages. We need to make the most of our marriages as a gift from God for the kingdom. If you're married, make the most of it. Work on your marriage in the conviction that God can heal it. Marriage has, has power. 
Make the most of this and commit to praying together. Use the gift and the power of prayer in your marriage well to further the kingdom. Marriage is designed by God to look a certain way in order to declare and to proclaim and to mirror the character of Jesus. Marriage is a tool that has eternal consequences. And this is radically different to the world. So use this difference for the sake of the gospel in the hope that when people see our marriages, when people see the love that we have for other, uh, each other, they will question what's different about this. And then you will have the opportunity to share the hope that you have in Jesus. So I just want to invite the team up now. It's important to remember the grace that we have in Jesus when we face marriage that is not ideal due to sin. But where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. And we have a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. The beautiful picture of marriage is that it is redeemed through the picture of Christ. The hurt that we can often feel in marriage and through the brokenness of marriage does not compare to the hurt that Christ experienced for us on the cross. Yet he went to that cross willingly because of the love he has for his bride and his people. And Jesus has redeemed marriage through his own demonstration of love. If we continue to think about marriage with eternal perspective, that marriage is a gift from, for the kingdom of God. It will help us to fight the temptation to see marriage as an idol. And it will help us to use our marriages well in the situations that we find ourselves in. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of marriage. I thank you for the beauty that it encompasses. Lord, I thank you that it demonstrates your commitment to us, your love for us, your character. And Father, I pray that all of us here, whether we are married or not, will, will be able to view marriage in this way so that rather than pursuing marriage above God, rather than pursuing marriage to the detriment of what God is doing and the detriment of others, making marriage an idol, we can realise that marriage is actually a gift in a way that we can further your kingdom and we can use it for your kingdom. And God, I pray for those of us who have been um, hurt by marriages or have experienced um, yeah, hurt and sin in those relationships. Father, we want to remember that you are a good God who loves us. You your grace abounds in those situations um, and your love for us covers all wrongs that have, that have um, happened. But yeah, God, we thank you for marriage and we thank you for what you've done for us. In your name, amen.